Yo, episode number 44. We're not live from the IM studios today. Mm-mm. We're in City Hall, downtown Los Angeles City Hall, completed in 1928 to embody the energy and ambition of a growing metropolis. And we're here because we embody energy and ambition of a substantial world metropolis. And because I'll be interviewing Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass, who just completed her first year as mayor of L.A. Now, look, I'm honored to sit down with the mayor. and We're going to discuss her origin story, her obstacles, her accomplishments and the future, both for her and the city of Los Angeles. And look, we were fortunate to get time with Mayor Bass. I want that to be clear. She has a ton on her plate. So we got about 15 minutes, which wasn't enough to cover everything that I wanted to get to. But we cover a lot of ground. And you know what this does? It sets the stage for future, more expansive interviews with the mayor. So for that, I'm extremely appreciative. And I need to put out a stipulation here. This is not political. I'm not conducting this interview as a Democrat, a Republican, member of the Green Party, anything like that. This is an opportunity for the people of the city of Los Angeles to get to know the person in charge. And I've always said, if you're going to complain then you got to understand first. Then it's your right to complain. So whether or not you support Mayor Bass, she is the mayor of this city that we all love so much. And I am proud to be sitting in this building with our mayor. So thank you in advance for listening with an open mind, a clear heart, and an eye on Los Angeles. And one more thing. You know I'm not going to leave you with one without one thing to do in Los Angeles this week. This is a really good one. And it's going to take you right into the heart of our city. And before I forget, this episode is brought to you by McKenna Cars. McKennaCars.com with nine dealerships in LA and Orange County. All roads lead to McKenna. That's McKennaCars.com. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. First of all, Mayor Bass, thank you for allowing me to be here with you. City Hall. You are welcome anytime to come to City Hall. It's the People's Hall. It is. It is uh, 95 years old, if I'm not mistaken. 1928. Yeah. Last time we spoke 101, you were a candidate for mayor. Oh my God, I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> now you've been in office for one full year. Yes. Congratulations and happy anniversary. Thank you. I survived. <laughs> this is a proud moment for me personally and for In a Minute with Evan Lovett. And I'm truly appreciative of your time. So thank you. Yeah. Now, congratulations again. First year in office. Was that enough time to figure out the best taco spots around City Hall? No, it isn't enough time. I need more time so I can eat more tacos. Yes. <laughs> but truthfully, I want to talk about your background and your yeah. origin story. That's yeah. what we do. That's what we really get into on In a Minute with Evan Loving. Mm -hmm. You are a daughter of Los Angeles through and through. Raised with three brothers. Yep. Venice. Fairfax, graduate of Hamilton High, USC Keck School of Medicine, Cal State Dominguez Hills. That is great coverage of a wide swath of Los Angeles. <laughs> I want to know about your personal experiences, challenge, adversity. Los Angeles can be a very difficult place, even in the best of times. That is right. Are there any anecdotes or early memories that can help us get into the mind of a young Karen Bass that shaped you before you got into politics? Oh, well, actually it was how I got into politics that was a young Karen Bass that shaped me. 
That was when I was a little girl and I was watching TV with my father and we were watching the civil rights movement and I was looking at all those old people. They weren't old, they were college students. But all those people sitting at that lunch counter and I saw all of them marching and I saw Martin Luther King and I couldn't wait to grow up because I wanted to go out there and protest just like they were because I wanted to change the world. Wow, from a young age. I was 10 years old. So that's, that's right. when the light bulb went off. That's yes. that's impressive. Yes. Because we were just talking uh, off air about the it factor mm -hmm. that sometimes you see in a person and you're like, you know, they are going to become something. Maybe I don't know what it is, but that person has the it factor. And then sometimes you see somebody is just so dedicated and focused and, and they know their goal and they know what they want their destiny to be. So when you were experiencing that civil rights movement and those protests and seeing that, that was what kind of went through your heart and your soul at that Absolutely. point. I couldn't wait to grow up and participate. And then my first political campaign I was involved in was when I was 14. But by then, wow. it was the war in Vietnam. It was all these things happening around the world. Yeah. And then I began to look at the world and wanted to see what I could do to change the world. But let me just tell you something. Yeah. I never thought about growing up to be a politician. Yeah. I never thought about growing up to be anything, frankly. I just wanted to change the world. But as I got older, like 17, I realized, well, you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Job-wise. Yeah. I was always interested in medicine and healthcare and so I went into the health field, but my heart was always in politics. No one ever told me, though, that like I could get paid to be involved in politics. <laughs> <laughs> so I always figured I had to have a job, and politics yeah. is what I did after work and on the weekends. Man, now, were you a political wonk? Like, how much were you paying attention to politics? Like, the oh. actual politics, local politics even. Do you remember L.A. politics? Sure, sure. Up? I remember when Tom Bradley ran the first time. Yeah. I was in high school. Uh, but I became a news junkie right from age 10. I always followed the news up until this day. And uh, I just felt like I had to know what was going on in the world. It's not like I could take a vacation and not pay attention to the news for a week. I think that would be so stressful. I want to know this just for me personally. Were you a newspaper person? Oh, yeah. Well, well remember, we didn't have anything else. <laughs> correct, correct. I, I spring that up because, and I mentioned this, I'm still a diehard newspaper person. Uh -huh. I get the LA Times and the Daily News every day, bring them to the office, <laughs> and I'm, and you know, now it's archaic and I'm the old person right. in the room. But um, okay, so let's talk about your mom. She mm -hmm. was a homemaker, mm -hmm. your father was a postal carrier. Mm -hmm. Now, I've always been infatuated with postal carriers because first of all i think that that's very important by the way usps great work <laughs> that they're doing all this but it's a good way to see the city on foot especially mm -hmm. in such a vast city like los angeles mm -hmm. but what are some specific memories of your dad and mom in the context of of los angeles or showing you los angeles or their memories or thoughts that they instilled in well you? especially from my dad because my dad even though he didn't mean to get me involved in politics he's really the one that um made me interested through watching the news but in his life as a letter carrier he would tell me about different neighborhoods and different communities and um, and that was always interesting to me so for example he delivered mail a lot in the Latino community and uh, the, cu the Cuban community and he would talk to me about that uh, so that was always interesting to me Speaking of interesting, the Cuban community, which is funny, it's, um, you know, Los Angeles has so many wonderful, strong communities. 
and the Cuban community, I was just reading, doing research on Portos and then Cafe Tropical, which recently mm -hmm. shut down. But it's such a proud community in Los Angeles, but it may not be one of the ones that's at the forefront of what you're thinking of, especially in the context of Latino communities in Los Angeles. But there really is that strong history it was. there. So it that was. was a personal note. For yeah, you. there was a more active Cuban community than there is right now. I think wow. people moved away. Yeah. So certainly there's the remnants in terms of the restaurants. Um, but but it's it's not like it was before. Luckily, we still have Portos. So, <laughs> okay. Now let me ask you this: uh -huh. Did you ever see yourself becoming mayor? Was that no, no, come on, way, no, how, wow. never. As a matter of fact, yeah. I never saw myself be even thinking about mayor until about three months before I launched my come campaign. on, never. That's impressive. That's never, that's never, awesome, never. It, I had to be encouraged. I wasn't like in okay. Congress going, what's my next job? What's my next campaign? I was perfectly happy yeah. in Congress. Yeah. But there were a number of people that talked to me and said, look, you need to come home. Uh, you need to run for mayor. And I'm like, are you kidding? I'm not doing that. And they said, <laughs> well, yes, you are, because that's what you need to do. Yeah. And, and see, that's what, what's important about me is that I've never seen any of this as a career trajectory. Right. I've always right. been driven and moved into one thing or another based on the issues that were burning yeah. at the time. And so the fact that we had so many people who were unhoused and the fact that the mood mood of the city had become very wow. angry. Yeah. And I was really worried. See, I was having flashbacks to the 1990s, the last time we were real angry. And what politicians did, they passed very bad laws yeah. that, in my opinion, contributed to the problem that we face today. So I felt like as much as I love being in Congress, I felt like I couldn't just sit back in Congress because it was easy for me to be there. I was in a safe Democratic seat right. when I was worried about people in our city, the poorest of the poor, being criminalized one more time. Wow. Well, on that note, you are the first female mayor in Los Angeles history. Yes. And the second African-American mayor. That is a, first of all, something to be extremely proud of, especially in this city. But that is a challenge and even a burden <laughs> in itself. Is that fair yes. to say? <laughs> yes, it is. What are some of the main challenges? Uh, well, you know, I think women face um, reduced expectations you know, underestimated. Yeah. Um, and that's okay with me. I think when I was younger, that made me mad. And I always tell young women, don't be mad if you get underestimated, just overperform. That's, it sounds like my wife, by the way. She's always, <laughs> she's always reminding me of that, that double standard, which is, which can be true. Um, I is want, she tough enough? What is she gonna do but in then a if you're too tough, But then if you're too oh, tough, what happens? Rigid. Yeah. You're, you're okay, so I wanna switch gears. It's important for people to know you married a Latino and you had a daughter and four stepchildren. Mm -hmm. I think in Los Angeles, where diversity is one of the most celebrated aspects of this amazing city, that's an important component of what made Karen Bass and what Karen Bass is about. Does that aspect of family affect your day-to-day -day experiences in Los Angeles and as mayor? Sure, well, I have a family. I did lose my daughter and my son-in-law but my stepchildren are very much a part of my life and I've been a part of their lives since the day they were born. Yes. We live together. That's so incredible. I live with my daughter, my two grandchildren, and my son-in-law. I'm again, Los Angeles. And they're all Latino. We're an interracial <laughs> family. I, I married a Mexican, so, so I mean, look, this is Los Angeles. All right, so let's, let's go 
forward with the current administration. One year, again, congratulations. First thing I want to talk about, fighting through adversity, especially when the 10 shut down. Oh my People gosh. thought we were doomed. Yes. Okay, that word indefinite was the indefinite closure was hanging over everybody's head. Let me head. just tell you something. Yeah. The night of the fires and the next day, we thought the freeway was going to have to come down. <laughs> we were not playing and we were looking at months. So how did you push that? How did the, it was up in, it felt like days. I think it was 10 days or less. How it was. Well, what happened is, is that after the experts got in there and did testing, yeah. they realized that it actually had been reinforced years before and they didn't know that. And so what had burned was the outside superficial, but there was no, no way of knowing that for the first few days. But you were able to push through. You were able to make sure that these tests were as rigid as they needed to be. Because, again, that is a heavily trafficked freeway. Such a main 300,000 cars yeah. a day yeah. on that freeway. But you know what, though? I mean, 1994 seems like, you know, a couple of years ago. I remember it very, very well. I lived close to the 10 freeway. So what I did know is that it could be built extremely fast. Yeah. I remember the 24 hour, seven day a week construction work that went on. But what we didn't have in 1994 that we have now is public transportation. Yes. There was no metro in 1994. Ooh. And so I thought if we are gonna face months, then this is an opportunity to change behavior yeah. and yeah. get people on metro and ridership increased 10%. I hope it hasn't fallen back down. I don't know that, but go metro. I'm in touch with some of the metro folks. Um, I've done some work with them in the past as well. And they have noticed ridership did come down, but it's stabilized a little bit higher. And I think most importantly, the stat is Los Angeles has the second most ridership of any transit organization in the United States. And we people don't really realize that. We surpassed Chicago. Yes, very, very impressive. So I do want to talk, look, this is about your first year yeah. and your accomplishments. And you said the term very fast in talking about the freeway. Something that I've seen with my own eyes that happened very fast is how many people you have housed. I Thank saw you. the number was 21,000, but I see it in my neighborhood Thank you. and on the freeway yes. off ramps. And you know, yes. this is the number one hot button issue. You yes. probably hear it a thousand times worse, worse I than I do. So you declared a state of emergency on the first day. Progress, 9,000 units of affordable housing being accelerated. What are the steps to continue this progress? What is the goal in 2024 and beyond? So let me just tell you that we did, we passed a lot of policies this year to expedite the building. So what I hope in next year is that I'm going to be sick of ribbon cuttings because there are going to be so many grand openings. That's what I want to see happen. Yes. Okay. And then we'll continue that on. <laughs> Number two concern with people in Los Angeles, at least in my, my violent crime. There you go. Especially after some of these headlines. And look, we know the media, we know the narrative. But the stats are LAPD reported homicide and violent crime are down. Violent crime by 10%, homicide by 27%. The eyes of the world are on Los Angeles now and more so in the World Cup and the Olympics That's coming. Right. Extremely important. What do you attribute that notable decrease to? Well, I think it increased right after COVID. When we all started coming out of our house, yeah. we kind of went crazy a little bit. Yeah. And so crime yeah. spiked and then it came back down. 
But we have different types of crime now. We have these smash and grabs. Yes. We have the retail thefts. And so we have to get on that. But one of the things I've done is we've definitely hired more police officers, but we've also opened up an office of community safety yeah. to look at ways to decrease and prevent crime from happening in the first place. Yeah, and it seems to be working, and I hope that that continues. Another major factor is always hear about the business climate. It's yes. tough to do business in Los Angeles. I saw an astounding stat. 10,000 small businesses have opened since you've been in office here. My wife has a small business. Right. I have a small business. Bank of California, largest business bank yes. in California, relocated to Los Angeles. That's How right. is your office doing such a fantastic job facilitating small business? Well, let me just tell you, when the Bank of California came, they brought a million-dollar check for us. Yeah. And that million-dollar check is to help small businesses. So the main thing we did was opened up the city and told the business community, come here. Tell us what's wrong with the city, what we need to fix, and we'll do it. So we did executive directives that the business community helped develop to expedite the uh, registration of new businesses. All right, so Mayor Bass, as you head into year two and beyond as mayor, what do you see as your legacy? When they put your portrait in Tom Bradley Hall. Oh my gosh. What are they gonna say Mayor Bass accomplished? They're gonna say, Remember when there used to be thousands of people on the street and tents? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember that. Tell me that story. That's what I want my grandkids to say to me. Wow, that is amazing. Well, Mayor Bass, I know your time is very limited. I want to thank you again for your generosity here at City Hall and for your service to everybody in Los Angeles. I'm very appreciative of you being here for this interview. Please keep up the great work and the leadership you've exhibited thus far. Thank you again. Well, thank you, and come back to City Hall. Absolutely. It's your City Hall. Thank you. Mayor Bass, <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> so you heard about our sponsor today at the top of the show, McKenna Cars. Let me tell you the McKenna Cars story. Check this out. In 1949, when 16-year-old Mike McKenna was arrested for streetcar racing in South Boston, the judge gave him two options, serve time or serve his country. Well, he chose the latter and he joined the Marines. He was sent across the country to Camp Pendleton, where he met Bob Stevens, who would become his new best friend. When Mike and Bob left the service, they moved to L.A., where Bob's father-in-law, who was a retired German doctor, was given one of the first Volkswagen dealerships in Los Angeles. He asked the boys to join him in the biz, and they jumped at the chance. And the VW Beetle gained in popularity. And while that happened, Mike McKenna learned to treat his customers with respect and support. And when Porsche was offered a few years later, they welcomed the new brand by expanding their sales and service departments. Now Mike's son, Danny McKenna, he took over the Volkswagen Porsche operation when his dad moved to Hawaii. But they shared nine Volkswagen stores and three Porsche stores in California and Hawaii. Now Danny and his kids manage Volkswagen dealerships in both Huntington Beach and Cerritos, plus the McKenna Porsche and McKenna Audi in Norwalk. They invite you to visit McKennaCars.com and see how easy it is to lease or purchase a new Volkswagen or Porsche. After 70 years in business, you'll experience a team that's firing on all cylinders. That's McKenna. McKennaCars.com. All roads lead to McKenna. All right, you know I'm not going to leave you without one thing to do in Los Angeles this week. And it's one thing I just did today. Go to City Hall. It's open to the public. And it's free. And I'm going to 
I'm going to blow your mind with probably the coolest thing about City Hall, which you absolutely must do. But we're going to talk about the history too. But I just want to start by saying, go there. There's a parking lot across the street. It's called City Hall East. And that area is very clear. It's right near um, Mayor Boron Square, which is actually where the first hotel in Los Angeles used to be, the Bella Union, also the first newspaper in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Star. But we're going to go over to City Hall, which that building, you know, because it's it's the definition of an icon for Los Angeles. I kind of hate overusing that word icon, but this really is the symbol of Los Angeles. And it's actually the city of the symbol of city halls because I didn't realize that when that was built architecturally, it was unique and one of a kind at the time. So it's pretty cool. And again, we're going to dive into that, but I got to explain not just the architecture, but inside from the moment you step in, you're going through that security line. And by the way, it's a breeze. The people there are really nice, um, but they're checking you. It's, it's like the airport. You know, you got to empty your pockets, go through a metal detector, but the tiles on the floor, the marble columns, the ceiling, the detail, every inch is so detailed and ornate and you can tell it's hammy. This is a different time. They, the cliche, they don't build stuff like this anymore, but it's true. I mean, every ceiling from, it's not a rotunda, but there are these huge high ceilings in there. Um, they're painted differently from like area to area. The whole thing is 28 floors, but once you walk in, you'll start seeing it. Even the elevators. And this was funny because what an elevator is an elevator. No, 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 no. You could tell this elevators from 1928. It's like copper brass and just again, hand constructed every little detail. It's a really beautiful place, but the pinnacle is up on the 27th floor. There's an observation deck. And now call ahead or look on their website because you can't get up there when there's a special event, but you can get up there. And again, it's free when there's not. And yesterday we were fortunate enough to go up there, 360 degree views of our city. And like, I don't know many places that you can see that unobstructed and just walking around. Well, even before you get onto the actual observation deck, you're walking into Tom Bradley hall which, you know, we mentioned with the interview with the mayor and it's got the portrait of every mayor in Los Angeles history going back to Nichols, going back to Antonio Coronel. It has Virigosa, Tom Bradley, of course, Eric Garcetti, everybody in between. Um, and it's pretty awe-inspiring. J just that room, the Tom Bradley Hall, but going back to the observation deck, you got the Hollywood sign on one side. You got 6th Street Viaduct on another side. You got Dodger Stadium. And all four sides have such different views and such. You see the geography, the topography of Los Angeles, the freeways. It's like, and again, Los Angeles hasn't been very smoggy recently. I don't know if it's just since COVID or the smog disappeared or it's really all this legislation is working. But even on a quote unquote smoggy day, you could still see for miles. And it wasn't one of those pristine beautiful days yesterday but it was still gorgeous and enough to appreciate just the difference in our city in every direction and you kind of feel like wow the city built out in this direct to the east to the west and north to the south you see the layout of the grid you see these monuments to our city it's really beautiful and honestly 
I could have spent probably an hour plus just on that observation deck. I mean, I kept walking around, taking pictures, viewing for all sides. And it really is a fun way to spend a day. And again, I got to iterate. It's free and it's fun. And that's where our city is run. The mayor's office is there. The city council people all have offices there. The city controller, city attorney. This is the heartbeat. This is the core of Los Angeles. And just being in that building, you feel it and you see it and you get to see the city. So listen, you know how I do. I got to get into the history of City Hall because you got to realize what it's about. And this one is cool. So check this out. Check this out. Okay. So prior to the completion of this current City Hall, the City Council used to use other buildings, right? For City Hall. They rented hotels. We're talking about the 1860s, 1870s. Adobe houses. The LA County Courthouse. Even the what became the Times Mirror Building was the City Hall for a while. And there was this also this beautiful Romanesque revival building on Broadway that I'm going to post pictures like I always do. And that was beautiful as well, but nothing like this city hall. So by the 1920s, Los Angeles was, was growing so rapidly. I mean, we had movies, we had oil, we had water. Thank you, Mulholland. And Los Angeles needed a city hall proper. It was a city hall to bring Los Angeles into the modern era. And boy, oh boy, did they do it right. Three, not one, three architects, John Parkinson, Albert Martin, John Austin, they joined together to build this amazing structure. And Parkinson was responsible for the concept and architectural design. He has a legacy throughout the city, so many other buildings and just renowned projects. I mean, Parkinson did Union Station, the Coliseum uh, Bullocks on Wilshire, Grand Central Market he contributed to. I mean, just a lot, a real legacy, but City Hall. Okay, so th that's Parkinson. He was Martin. Martin did the structural design and Austin did the drawings and administration. So three architects. And when you see the scale and the scope of it, you you'll realize it because I don't know. I don't think one man could have completed that, especially because the style is considered modern American which is sort of an evergreen term, but because it was unlike any other architectural style at the time, and it was specifically designed to correspond to no previous era or style because it incorporated elements of many styles to produce, produce what at the time was said to be a unique hybrid, okay? And this was such a big deal. Dedication ceremonies were held on April 26, 1928. And not only was it like, oh, the building's dedicated. No, this was a three-day affair. There was a parade. There were musical compositions. There were fireworks. President Calvin Coolidge lit the beacon on the top of City Hall. It's called the Lindbergh Beacon after Charles Lindbergh, who had just flown across the Atlantic, first man to do so. And he lit it from the White House. But the beacon lit, and it lit up the city. And the funny thing is, this building, 454 feet, was the tallest building in Los Angeles by far. There was legislation. No building in Los Angeles could be built taller than 150 feet at the time. So this thing was towering over the rest of the city. And it was standing proud and saying to the rest of the world, Los Angeles is here and we're growing and we are going to be that metropolis. And sure enough, that is manifest. A cool little tidbit about the construction. The concrete in the 
the tower was made with sand from every county in California, every one of California's 58 counties. And check this out, water from each of its missions. Now, like, look, okay, you got a couple drops from San Fernando, San Diego, San Francisco. It's cool because it's representative of California right here in Los Angeles. So this building was a shining light, a true beacon. And for 36 years, this stood as the tallest building in Los Angeles. So till 1964, City Hall was the building that you could see from anywhere. And even since then, you know, the skyline is developed. But 1964, little by little, more buildings came in. But City Hall is far enough away from these main skyscrapers that, like I said, you could see 360 degrees. Go up to the observation deck. But with City Hall, I mean, films, Shows, music videos, Adventures of Superman, Dragnet, L.A. Confidential, Bad News Bears. You remember Diamonds and Pearls by Prince? Yep, that was City Hall. And what's cool is when something significant happens now, Lakers win a championship, Dodgers win a World Series, the light up City Hall when Jonathan Gold passed away, they lit it up in gold. When Prince passed away because of the video, they lit it up in purple. And that just adds to the mystique. And it's very, very cool, man. Like, whenever I'm driving around downtown doing a story, I peek out and I see City Hall. And it's like, that's where it all goes down. And that's where it's been going down for 95 years in Los Angeles. And it really is an architectural marvel. And you really can see everything when you're up there on the observation deck. And just knowing that history and what it meant to Los Angeles, this is worth a trip. And, and again, there's so much stuff to do around there. So much history. Go see that Boron Square and check out where the first hotel in Los Angeles was. Calle de los Negros is right down the street. Alveda Street is right down the street. This is downtown Los Angeles. But go to City Hall and make sure you can do it on a day that you could go to the observation deck because it really is beautiful, stunning. And it's something you're going to want to tell people about and show people those pictures. So yes, that's what you're going to do in Los Angeles this week. Thank you for listening to episode 44 of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I am very thankful to Mayor Karen Bass and her team for facilitating this interview and for providing strong leadership in the city of Los Angeles. I'm also very appreciative of everybody for listening, regardless of your political views. We're shining a positive light on this city and we continue to do so every week. Please give me a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show and leave a review if you have 30 seconds. And lastly, don't forget to follow, subscribe, and share. Thank you again for supporting In a Minute with Evan Lovett, and thank you for supporting the city of Los Angeles. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.